If you'll take your Bibles to Psalm 56, Psalm 56, we'll read the psalm and then pray. The 56th Psalm. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise. In the Lord whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Father, thank you for preserving your book for us. And, and we praise you for the Psalms. We praise you that uh, you have opened up uh, that book to show us our own hearts as well as your heart. And, and so, Father, would you please uh, thrill us with your word tonight, with your presence, and that we would be a very hungering and an eager people to hear from you. And we thank you, Father, for the privilege of an open Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I, uh, if you recall this morning, we talked about, in Sinclair Ferguson's ABF, the Gospels, that he mentioned that we should spend much time in the Gospels. And if you uh, read three chapters of the Gospel a day, uh, uh, you will get through the Gospels in a month. And if you do that every month for a year, you'll be immersed in the Gospels for, uh, for, the, for that length of time, monthly for a year. It would radically change the way that you think. As he said, it would be instinctive, uh, our walk with uh, the Lord Jesus. And that would be true. Well, I would say that to say this, is that in the Psalms, uh, if you were to read five Psalms a day, now that's a little bit more ambit- ambitious than the three chapters of the gospel, but it's, it's, easy to, it's not that difficult to do. We squander a lot of time during the day. But if you would read five Psalms a day, you will get through the entire Psalms in a month. Imagine what would happen if you did that every month for a year. It would have radical impact upon you. Because in the Psalms, there's a uniqueness about the Psalms. Uh, The Psalms reveal the character of God like very few other books do. You will see the majesty of God. You will see the theology of God. You will see the beauty of God. The Psalms have a wonderful way of opening up the person of our God in his character. So if you want to know what he's like then there you go. We look, our, we look into, the, into, into the Psalms and see the character of God. And also we see the actions of God. The Psalms reveal his interaction with his creature. Is that he, um, he is active in his creation, and in particular his people. 
another aspect about the Psalms, which I'm tying that in with where we're going tonight and have gone for the last few weeks, is that the Psalms reveal uh, the depths of human experience. The depths of human experience. There's not a human experience you will not have that is not illustrated somewhere in the Psalms. Whether it be overwhelmed with anxiety, whether it be overwhelmed with the majesty of God, uh, whatever is we will see in the Psalms ourselves. I quoted uh, Luther uh, about the Psalms, and I'll do that again. Luther said, quote, that the Psalms are the window into the human soul, end quote. And so if you really want to get a good picture of yourself, get into the Psalms and you will see the human experience. And so what we've been doing in the Sunday nights that, that I'm filling the pulpit uh, is we're going to be in the Psalms. Now, I know that we did this uh, a few years, many years ago, that we took eight years and went through all 150 Psalms. And, and that took a long time, uh, but it was such a rewarding thing, I know, for me personally. Uh, we're not going through any order of these Psalms is I've kind of inwardly labeled this series the human experience and then looked at random psalms and just thought about where you are in your life and thought about where I am in my life and where the world is and human beings are in their experiences and, and, and look at psalms that address these very things. And so tonight we're in Psalm 56. And in Psalm 56 we're going to look at the topic of when I am afraid. Now, I believe it's safe for me to say that every single one of you in this room and those watching the live stream and those who will hear this, you know, in the techie world uh, have experienced being afraid of fearful times. Uh, if not today, this past week, and if not now, it certainly will be uh, later on. Every one of us knows what it's like to be afraid. Psalm 56 helps us. And it draws us to some very practical uh, truths to, to help us as David was helped in overcoming being afraid. Now, when you read the Psalms, it's important to realize that there are historical setting in, in a lot of them. Is that you can read the history uh, of the Psalms revealed uh, in other portions of the scripture. In particular, the history books of the Old Testament. And you will be able to uh, get a good feel on what's happening. Not all Psalms are like that. Uh, some Psalms are left open where there is no historical data. So you don't know. But where there is historical data, it really makes the psalm come alive. It makes us understand what's going on. Well, Psalm 56 has historic setting, historical setting. Um, it provides, as I mentioned, focus and clarity. Uh, the context of which we would see Psalm 56 is in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and, and 21. We won't read that. But here's what's going on in 1 Samuel 20 and 21. Um, if you look on your, in your Bible in Psalm 56, you may have a heading that says, To the choir master, according to the dove uh, on Pharaoh, Terabinus, a victim of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. So that is the historical setting of that. However, leading up to that, 1 Samuel chapter 20 and chapter 21, we see the breakdown of Saul and David. The relationship has gone south, and David is fleeing for his life from Saul. David is afraid, 
And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10, we read, And David rose and fled that day from Saul out of fear and went to Achish, the king of Gath. The king of Gath. And what happens when he gets there or what happens when the Philistines are, are upon him is the very same thing. In 1 Samuel 21, verse 12, And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achash, the king of Gath. So David is engulfed with fear. He's afraid of Saul, who he's fleeing from. He's now afraid of the king of the Philistines, and rightly so. He's trying to hide in the very place that he killed their giant. And so David has all kinds of pressing things upon him that is causing him to be afraid. Not to mention he has a son who's not exactly an honorable son. He has Absalom. And so he has all kinds of pressures upon him. And you in your life at times have pressures upon you that causes you to be afraid. It's family pressures. It's occupational pressures. It's relational pressures that cause you to be afraid. Derek Kinder said this, quote, To have fled from Saul to Gath of all places, the hometown of Goliath took the courage of despair, end quote. David is so afraid that he is paralyzed. And that's what fear can do. And some of you have experienced this unhealthy fear that has made you not even want to leave your house. That there's people that you've been afraid of that you don't even want to see. That you don't even want to be near. And so when we look at this psalm, what we see is David exhibiting fear. But we also see David being delivered or David offering ways that we can combat fear. And we'll look at those um, here in a minute. And so as we work through this outline, I want us to understand that to be afraid... And to be enslaved to sinful fear is never the design of God. In fact, can you imagine what it would be like never to be afraid? You have no concept of that, and neither do I. But do you know before Adam and Eve sinned, they did not know what it was like to be afraid. They had no concept of that at all. How liberating and encouraging would that be? Someday we're going to be there, but that day's not today. In Genesis 3, 9 through 10, this is the first time the word afraid appears. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? To Adam, after they had sinned. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. And do you know what happens when you're afraid? Is you want to hide. You want to hide from what's causing you to be afraid. And we'll look at some causes of that in a moment. But I just want you to think about one of the aspects of heaven is that we won't be afraid. There'll be no more the slavish fear that we have in this world. Now, we're going to have the proper fear, a perfected fear of God. And that's going to be in the healthy environment of perfect worship, of perfect love. And that's one aspect, I think, of heaven. Uh, Not only the place of heaven and the person of heaven, but I'm never going to be afraid again. I have a tendency to be afraid. I'm of that, that disposition, that melancholy kind of, you know, I, I easily can get afraid. I'm, I, am, I am a chicken little type of guy. And, and I, don't, I don't brag about that whatsoever. 
But let's take a look at some causes of fear. Some causes of fear. I've given you four, and we'll work our way through that, and then we're going to uh, look at how we can overcome those with David being an example. Now, here are four causes of fear that every one of you have faced and will face. And the first one is this, is there is the fear of people. Is we have this innate fear of people. Now, you may say, well, I don't care what people think of me. Yes, you do. And I've had people say, well, it doesn't matter to me what people think of me. That's just not true. Is that there's something inside of us. We are wired for acceptance. We are wired to want to be liked. And the person that says, I really don't care one iota what a person thinks of me, they're actually revealing they care a lot about what people think about them. It's usually the things that you amplify the most in your life that you're not struggling with or that you don't have are the very things that you are. And so the first thing that we see then is that a cause of fear, of slavish, paralyzing fear, is that of people, fear of people. Look at verses 1, 1 through 4 again, Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. David immediately is identifying one of the chief causes of fear in his life. Man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Notice in verse 3, when I am afraid. That is the first thing he says after identifying man trample him, enemies are all over him, and many attack him. There is the fear of people that is very real in David's life. He says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh man do to me? That's verse 11. So verse 1 through 4 and verse 11, we have David acknowledging that the fear of people is very real in his life. Proverbs 29, 24 says, the fear of man lays a snare. Or the fear of people lays a trap. And if you are a person who walks on eggshells out of a fear of people, you feel like an animal trapped. And that's what Solomon would say, is the fear of man lays a snare. And once an animal's in a snare and a trap, they can't get out unless there's a force outside of themselves. Edward Welch, he wrote a really wonderful book. It's called, When People Are Big and God is Small. He said this, quote, fear of man is such a part of our human fabric that we should check for a pulse if someone denies it. Scripture gives three basic reasons why we fear other people. We fear people because they can expose and humiliate us, because they can reject, ridicule, and despise us, and because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us, end quote. Now, the classic example in the New Testament of someone fearing people would be who? It would be Peter. It would be Peter. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus, the Galilean. Now, notice, this is a servant girl. This is not the nine-foot Goliath. It's a servant girl, maybe 14, maybe less. You also were with Jesus, the Galilean, and Peter, succumbing to the fear of people, denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. 
And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. In a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to evoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Here's this, here's this well-buffed fisherman that has a little servant girl that looks at him and says, Yeah, you're one of his. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. I don't know what you're talking about, little girl. Go away. Go away. And then another little girl. Yeah, you are. I hear, I hear your accent. No. No, I don't know the man. And then the bystanders add on to it too. So what do we see in Peter, which is this thing that David is, is, is feeling pressure to? It's the fear of people. And what ha- who has not among us been afraid of people? That there have been people that have hurt you or people that, as Welch would say, that have ridiculed you or slandered you or whatever. And you're probably not going to invite them over for a barbecue. You're probably not going to. In fact, is that they're in the same church. You may do all you can to avoid them. That's the fear of people. It's slavish. And you know what it does? It robs you of joy. It robs you of your joy. It robs you of your peace. I remember, I think I was a freshman in high school and went out for the basketball team and there was only X number of spots and there was this other guy, he was about my size, his name was Mitch and um, Mitch was not one of my friends, he was, uh, hi Mitch, he was one of those type of guys. Anyway, so we, uh, we had the tryouts and there was the last spot on the team and the coach brought Mitch and myself in and we were the last two, and only one of us. I would not have handled this way as the coach, but he did. He brought us in there, and he looked at Mitch, and he says, I'm sorry, but I have to cut you, is that he gets the last spot. This man, this little, this Mitch was so angry. He was so mad. We left that, we left that office, and I remember him looking at me, just steaming. He says, I am going to beat you to a pulp. Listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not the biggest guy right now. I mean, I'm five foot three at best, maybe 110 pounds, maybe. You know, and I'm scared to death. The bully is after me. He says, I'm going to meet you after school, and I'm going to beat you to a pulp. I was shaken. You know what I did? I took the long way home, the real long way home, so that he couldn't find me. And maybe they're not of the greatest of, uh, of examples, But have you not felt the fear of people? The fear of people is so oppressive to you that it causes you to be obsessed or it causes you to just be paralyzed and that it robs you of your joy, it robs you of your peace. David is is consumed with this. He has enemies all over. And when uh, when he leaves the city, when he leaves Saul, he's all by himself. And he has this fear of people. But there's more. Look at verse 5 and 6. Here's the second cause of why we fear. Not only the fear of people, but also the very real fear of death. The fear of death. Psalm 56, verse 5 and 6. All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They hide themselves. It's like they're planning an ambush. 
That's the picture. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. They are not wanting to have a dialogue with David. They're wanting his life. And David feels the pressure of Saul after him. He now feels the pressure of the Philistines after him. And he is fearful of death. Now, I know that Christians, you know, we're not supposed to fear death. But we've never done that before. It's not like we've done this thing before. And one of the, the, key, one of the key tactics of the devil is just that, the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now listen to this. And the devil, to deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Get a medical uh, diagnosis and it's not good and your whole perspective on life changes. Get a loved one who's been, di- been diagnosed with a terminal disease, and your whole perspective changes. You know, when the uh, psalmist says that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, do you know what that is? That's every day of your life. Every day of your life, we walk in the valley of the shadow of death. Because we don't know. We know two things about death. We know that it is certain, and we don't know the day of it. So there's a certainty of death. There's the uncertainty of the when. And it's a fearful thing. We are going into the unknown. And we'll talk about how, how we can overcome that here in a few minutes. But so then we have causes of fear, which we all fall prey to, is one, the fear of people. Secondly, the fear of death. The third one is the fear of what I've labeled here perceived negative circumstances. Now, David is is overwhelmed with this fear. He's weeping. He's crying out to the Lord. And when I I look at this, this third cause of fear, I see it in my life, and I know in the lives of many, if not all, it's living in the world of the what ifs. How many of you have lived in the worlds of the what ifs? Well, what if this happens? Then, then what's going to happen to this, my family? What if this happens? What if this happens? What ifs are extremely dangerous because they, they are rooted in unbelief. Is it what ifs look to a not promise tomorrow? And Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 6. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient unto the day is its evil thereof. And so Christ commands us, don't look for tomorrow. So the danger with this is you'll start planning or you'll start looking to your not promised tomorrow. And you'll live in the what ifs. And most of the time, what ifs are negative. And if you're living in a negative what if, you know what you've done? is you've zapped yourself for the strength to live the only day you have, and that's today. Is that you will not have the energy to fight the fights that you have today. There's two verses in Proverbs. Uh, I kind of chuckle when I read these verses. When Solomon, uh, he would address these what-ifs. You know what what what-ifs really are? They're imaginary fears. They're imaginary fears. You look at your circumstances right now and you start projecting ahead to tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And it's all this negative uh, imaginary fears of what could happen. Solomon says this in Proverbs 22 verse 13 and Proverbs 26 13. 
The sluggard says, there is a lion outside, I shall be killed in the streets. In verse 13 of chapter 26, the sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. Edward Welch again, he says, quote, to be human is to be afraid. We are small and the world is big, end quote. And outside the safe confines of our home, there is a big world of what ifs. There is a big world of scary what ifs. And Solomon would say that these imaginary fears cause us to look out and create an environment that's not true. When's the last time you've seen a lion walk down the street? He said, there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the road. I'm going to be killed. When's the last time you saw a lion walk down in the street? Maybe in Palestine, they walk down the streets. All I know is that I don't think the, the, the lion walks down the street unless the circus is in town. Unless there's something going on that would warrant the, the, the tamed lion to be taken down the street. The point of this thing here is that what ifs or imaginary fears are so crippling in the Christian life. Because what it does is it, 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 it forbids us, or I should say it restricts us from trusting the sovereignty of God in all the unfoldings of life. And so David would have certainly had a heart full of what ifs. He had the fear of people. He had the fear of death. He had the fear of negative circumstances, what if. And then there's a fourth one. It's a fourth one we may not think uh, too much of. There is the unhealthy fear of obeying God. You may say, well, wait, I don't get that. Let me give you two examples. The first one is Moses. You remember when when God appears to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. He appears to him... And Moses sees uh, here the burning bush. And the Lord says, I'm, I've heard my people, and I'm going to deliver my people. Now remember, Moses has fled from, from Egypt. Why? Because he was afraid. He had killed the Egyptian. He was already afraid, so he runs far, far away. And now the Lord appears to him and says, listen, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm going to send them, uh, I'm going to deliver them, and you're the one. And what does Moses say? His first response to God, after God says, I'm going to use you to deliver my people, Moses says, who am I that I should go? Don't give Moses a pat on the back for humility. That's false humility. He was scared to death. He was afraid. We know that that's true. Because further on in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, to Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. And then in verse 10, Moses says this to the Lord, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who maketh him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth. That's twice. The Lord says, I'm going to send you. And Moses says, I think you should find someone else. Moses says, I'm really not the man. No, Moses, it's not false. It's not humility. 
It's your pride that's, that's actually manifesting a very fearful, a very fearful attitude of obeying God. And it would go on and says, Moses would then get, say to the Lord as if he, he's already said enough. He says, but he said, oh, Lord, oh, please, my Lord, send someone else. And then verse 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Why was he angry at Moses? Because Moses was afraid to obey him. He was fearful to obey him. Well, think about it. He's going back to the very place that he killed the Egyptian. And there might be some people that, that remember. It's been a while. It's, how, what a contrast between Paul. Paul would go to Lystra and he would get stoned and dragged out for dead. And then he's alive and he goes further down, preaches the gospel. And then he says, let's go back to where I got stoned and check on the disciples and see how they are. So then this fear of obeying God is very real. And let's don't, uh, let's don't forget that Paul was not immune to this. In Acts chapter 18, verse 9, the Lord appeared to, to, uh, to Paul in a nighttime vision and said, don't be afraid. 18.9, go on speaking. So Paul, we, we can't make Paul in this, this category of immune to human frailties because he was afraid. And so there is a fear about obeying God. There is a fear of persecution. There is a fear of ridicule. There's a fear of all these things. So those are, those are the, the, uh, the causes, some of the causes. I'm sure there's more. But all of us can identify with each one of these in, 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 as David would. The cause of fear is fear of people. The cause of, of fear is the fear of death. The cause of fear is the what-ifs, imaginary fears. And the, and the cause of fear is the fear of obeying God. It is, it is risky to step out in faith and obey Him. But let's look at uh, three ways how we can overcome, overcome these. Verse 3 of Psalm 56. The first one is this. Is if we have any hope of overcoming and slaying the beast of slavish fear, is let's just acknowledge it. Let's begin by acknowledging the presence of fear. You may say, well, Jim, that's not very profound. It's not, you know, but it's very practical. It's don't, don't try to just gut it out in yourself and just ignore that it doesn't exist. What does David do in verse 3? The first thing he does after identifying his enemies is he says, when I am afraid. He doesn't say, if I'm afraid. He acknowledged that he was going to be afraid. He acknowledged a part of the fallenness was being afraid. Wayne Mack, another a great author on this in his book called Courage, quote, understand that you're going to be tempted to become afraid and to be distressed, end quote. It is, it is completely illogical to think that we can go through life and not be afraid and not, and not have any fear tempting us to draw us away from a life of obedience. Acknowledgement leads to dependency. Acknowledgement of a, of, of a weakness, acknowledgement of fear leads to dependency upon the one who said fear not, which is faith in action. And when it comes to this type of acknowledgement, be transparent with God. I met with someone uh, this afternoon and we were talking about the struggles of the Christian life. And this individual wanted some help on, on, on battling and and. 
part of the conversation was, I just don't have, I just don't have this strong desire uh, for God. And I said, did you tell him that? I said, have you told him that you don't desire him? I don't question this individual's a Christian. But I said, have you been so open with God? Have you bore your soul out to him? And not these, uh, these, formalic, these, these form prayers. But I said, have you told him? Have you said, Lord, I, I want to desire you, but I don't desire you. Would you please change my heart to desire you? I said, have you done that? I said, the first way to, uh, to overcome spiritual weaknesses is to acknowledge the spiritual weaknesses. And to acknowledge that, hey, I'm afraid. Lord, I am afraid. I am afraid of this person. I don't want to see this person. I know I shouldn't be afraid, but I'm afraid. Please, Lord. Or, Lord, I'm afraid of this what if. I, I, I don't want to be paralyzed by the what if in my life. But there's this what if that I'm afraid if this happens, this is going to be bad news for me and my family. And Ah! Have you told the Lord that? Have you told the Lord you're afraid? I think one of the great things about prayer is, is that God wants us to come to him as we are children wide open and hiding nothing. Hiding nothing. Just be wide open because here's how you overcome fear. It's like David, you acknowledge it. You acknowledge that there's fear. You acknowledge that you are in a, you're in a place that people are causing you to be afraid. Circumstances are causing you to be afraid. Is that I'm afraid because of, uh, of, of the call to obedience. There's just, all these things are real. So why don't you talk to the God who is real and tell him. Get alone with him and praise him and thank him. And then say, Lord, I got some things to share with you. I remember... Um, it's, a, it's another personal illustration. I remember one of our dear saints. It was a few years ago, many years ago. And, uh, and she was on her deathbed. And she was in Rhode Island Hospital. And, and she was going to die soon. And so I went to visit her. And, and, and I was pretty close to her. And, and I remember walking into her room. And, and she was laying there. And she, she knew that it was a matter of days at best. And the first thing, she, she looked at me and she said, Thank you for coming, young man. And then she said, I've had to get some things right with the Lord. I've had to talk to him and really get a lot of things uh, 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 square with him. And I thought about what a way to, to enter into eternity is that she was preparing herself. You know, she spent the time and what little time she had. She was asking to be searched and she knew there's some things that she needed to talk to the Lord about. Friends, prayer is not just asking God to do something. And it's not just asking God to uh, come, and, come and, and, and move in your life. Prayer is about sharing your heart. Acknowledge you're afraid. Number two, here's the second way that we can overcome fear. And that is reason. Scriptural reason with fear. You know what, I mean? what do you mean by reason? A couple things. The first thing is reason with God. I just mentioned share with him your emotions. But even tell him. And part of the conversation I had this afternoon was, um, um, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a bit of anger against God. And, and I said to this individual, I said, you know, God is, is bigger than your anger. I said, he can handle your anger. And I said, I know I care about you a lot. And I said, I'm going to tell you this straight up. 
And I say, I say this to you as I well as say it to me. I say, what right do you have as a creature and as clay to question the potter? That's a question you have to come to grips with. God invites us to reason with him. He says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. That verb reason means to decide or determine what is right. And so God in his benevolent love or benevolence and his, his, his desire for us, he will say, come, let's talk about this. Let's reason this fearful thing that you're experiencing. Let's reason in it. But we're also called to reason with ourselves. I want you to look at Psalm 42, verse 5. Psalm 42, verse 5. If you're going to overcome fear, number one, you've got to acknowledge it. David did. Secondly, you've got to reason. And David, throughout Psalm 56, it's implied. Is it you have to reason with God. You have to talk to him about this. And secondly, reason with yourself. Do you know the person you spend the most amount of time in your life conversing with is the person you see in the mirror? You talk to yourself more than any other person. Psalm 42, 5, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Verse 11 of Psalm 42, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Who is the psalmist in Psalm 42 uh, reasoning with? Himself. He's talking to himself. He's not listening to himself. If you listen to yourself, you're going to hear fear. You're going to hear what ifs. You're going to hear people who are big and God's small. If you listen to yourself, you're never going to get out of fear. You must talk to yourself or reason with yourself. One of the best books I ever read on spiritual depression was by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he said this, quote, The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why are you cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is, and what God is, and what God has done, and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done all that, end on this great note. Defy yourself, defy other people, defy the devil and the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. The greatest warfare you're going to fight is in this fight against fear is within yourself. You've got to reason with yourself. And that leads to all those causes of fear that I gave you, those four. You reason against those. For instance, David says in Psalm 56, 4, you can turn back to the the psalm if you want to. We're not going to turn to any more scripture. But in Psalm 56, 4, what does David do? He reasons with himself and with his God When he says in verse 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Now notice in verse 3, when I am afraid from people, now in verse 4 he says, I shall not be afraid. And here is the reasoning. What can flesh do to me? 
He would also say that in verse 11. What can man do to me? And Jesus says, why do you fear, why do you fear man that all they can do is kill you? Fear him who is able to cast you into hell. So what is this reasoning against people? It's irrational for us to fear other people. Because other people are fallen just like us. Other people will stand before the same God as we stand in judgment. John Bunyan said the reason why that we are so fearful of man is because we fear God so little. And that is so true. And so when you're afraid of people, when you're afraid as well said of what they can say or what they may do, step back and say, wait a minute. I'm going to reason with God with this. And I'm going to reason with myself. Why, like David, why am I so afraid of people? What can they possibly do to me? Kill me? All that's going to do is is release you from fear. It's just going to take you to the place of no more fear. So that we reason against the fear of people by just the illogic nature of fearing fellow creatures over the Creator. Secondly, we reason against the fear of death. And what would that be? The very foundation of our faith is what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think it's so strange in my own life that I claim to trust the God I've never seen, the God I've never audibly heard, that I am, I am adamant that I'm trusting him for all my eternity, but yet I struggle to trust him for the day-to-day. I struggle to trust him for the day-to-day. And so how do we, how do we reason against death? It's by the resurrection. Is that you take away the resurrection, we have no faith. If there's no resurrection, we are a bunch of, of, of frauds, and what are we doing here? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a text we often use at funerals. It's the language of military victory. Where Paul would say, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we overcome the fear of death? Is a very Hebrew text that I, that I quoted earlier. Is that Jesus came to destroy death. And that our faith and trust in him is the only answer and the sure answer to overcoming the fear of death. Why? Because he already has. He's already gone before us. Well, the third fear we mentioned, so the fear of people, uh, we overcome that by the fear of God. Um, We overcome the fear of death by remembering the resurrection every day throughout the day. But how do we overcome through scriptural reasoning of the negative what-ifs of life? Everything that comes into your life comes from your heavenly Father who is good, who is wise, who makes no mistakes, who is the potter, and we are the clay. And when you, if, you, if you take the imagery of, a, of a, the potter and the clay, I was thinking about that this morning when I was reading it. And um, you can see the, the divine potter's wheel. Look at that as God's sovereignty. 
going around and, and turning, and us the clay on that wheel. And he, as the divine potter, is orchestrating all the events of his sovereignty on that wheel, shaping us into the image of his son. And so there is no such thing as a negative what if in your life. Psalm 138, verse 8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Psalm 57, verse 2, I cry out to the God most high who fulfills his purpose for me. Psalm 25, 10, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. There are no negative what ifs in your life. There are only the divine potter orchestrating everything on his wheel that you and I as soft clay are being molded into the image of Christ. The what ifs and the negative of, 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 of thinking about the bad things that could happen, that is of the devil that's not of God. And so don't get wrapped up in being an unbelieving believer in fretting over tomorrow, over things that could happen that most of the time don't happen. And even if they did, they came from your father for your good. I didn't say it would feel good, but it is for our good. And then we have, how do we overcome the fear of obeying God? We overcome the fear of people by the rationale of, of, or I should say the illogical nature of fearing other people. We overcome the fear of death by the resurrection. Tell yourself that Jesus is alive every day. We overcome the what-ifs or imaginary fears by realizing that nothing into your life uh, that comes is, is not for your good. I've said this numerous times. I'll say it again. God does not require us to understand what he's doing. But he does require that we trust what he's doing. And so you don't understand his ways. We will not understand his ways. But we can trust his ways. Because they will always be for good. Well then how do we overcome the fear of obeying God? Just the fear like Moses had. Well just let me offer two quick things. Is One, just the logical nature of obeying God. Just the logical nature of it. Remember when Peter in Acts chapter 4 is that they were persecuted and, uh, and Peter and John looked as a council and they, they tell them, don't, no more. Don't teach anymore in the name of Jesus. No more. And Peter and John say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak and speak of what we have seen and heard. It's just logical to obey God. Is it fearful? Yes. But remember, him who said, him who said that fear not walks with us. Read Joshua 1 and see how many times the Lord says, be of good courage. Be of good courage. And then he tells Joshua, I'll be with you. So you can rationalize the fear of obeying God out by understanding that's what I was created for. That's why I was saved. That I would obey him. And another way of rationalizing this fear of obeying God is to realize that obedience is the way that we show him we love him. It's just, it's just logical to obey God. But it takes it to a different level. It is the way that I show affection to God. Friends, if you are paralyzed by fear of people, fear of circumstances, fear of death, you know, fear of uh, obeying him. If you're paralyzed by, uh, by fear, you cannot love God. You can't love him. 
First John tells us that in First John 4, 18, the perfect love casts out fear. And so it's very real that I cannot live in a state of paralyzing fear and say I love God because fear, paralyzing fear is rooted in unbelief. And unbelief cannot please God. He's made it clear in Hebrews chapter 11, without faith it is impossible to please Him. Well, let's wrap this up. The final one, the final one, look at verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 56. Here's the third application. If we're going to overcome fear, as David did, God's ways, number one, acknowledge it, talk to the Lord, be open with Him. Reason, scripturally reason against it. Reason with God, reason with yourself, and then reason out of fear of people, out of fear of death, out of fear of what is, out of fear of obeying God. And then we have the exercise of faith. Notice what David does. I'm not going to elaborate on this, just two, two quick things. Verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. Notice the personal nature of his trust. I put my trust in you. He made a conscious decision. Don't think for a second that the emotions were not raising, was rising in David. He's afraid. Fear is emotion. Intense emotion. Yet David would cut through the fog of the emotion and says in verse 3, I put my trust in you. And then in in verse 4, in God I trust. In verse 11, in God I trust. If you and I are going to overcome fear, we must exercise a faith that does not rely upon circumstances or feelings. It must be a committed exercise of the will in the trustworthy person of our God. And then notice what else he does. Verse 4, whose word I praise. Verse 10, whose word I praise. Whose word I praise. Twice in verse 10, once in verse 4. What is he doing there? Praise rightly assumes trust and confidence. It rightly assumes trust and confidence. David is saying, not only do I exercise faith in my fear in your trustworthy person, but I exercise faith in my fear in your trustworthy word. And friends, that's the only way that you overcome fear. Is you must have a resolved faith that suppresses the emotion of fear in the power of Christ's resurrection as you trust his person and you trust his word. And God, like he delivered David, he will deliver us. He doesn't want us living in fear because a fearful Christian is an ineffective Christian. A fearful Christian is not salt and light in the world. A fearful Christian is an isolated Christian. A fearful Christian is a joyless Christian. But God has given us all we need to overcome fear. By the exercise of faith in his trustworthy person, the exercise of faith in his trustworthy word, by reasoning with him and with ourselves out of fear and acknowledging in a transparent prayer life that is real. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the great truths. Thank you for the practical advice and the model of David. Oh, Father, may we please learn to overcome fear. May we please be those type of people that are courageous, not arrogant. 
Not those who live on self-sufficiency or just picking ourselves up by, by our bootstraps, but we will see our dependency upon you who said, Fear not, I am with you always. Let us think on these things, Father, and as we go, may we apply these to our lives. May we live under the umbrella of your presence, knowing that uh, you have promised courage and that you've promised to use us in a world that is in the bonds, or in, I should say, in the clutches of Satan and the fear of death. So, Father, thank you for the Lord's Day. Thank you for the privilege, and thank you for our church. In Jesus' name, amen.